grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Bible uses many names for Jesus. The name Jesus itself means the Lord saves or Savior. Another word that is common for Jesus is the Christ, which means that he is the anointed one, the chosen one. The scriptures describe Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. He is the vine, he is the door, he is the word. He is the son of God, he is the son of man, he is the son, S-U-N, of righteousness. He is our savior, our advocate, our brother. He is our Lord, he is our redeemer, and he is our good shepherd. In fact, I found a list identifying 135 names and titles of Jesus each with a Bible verse to back up those names or titles. And lists like that are rather good to look at because they give us a time to reflect on who Jesus is, the wonderful works of Jesus, his very nature, that he is our merciful Lord and he, is, he has come to save us. By looking at these types of lists and reflecting on the names of Jesus, we can see how Jesus is the one for us to take refuge in, and we learn of his wonderful and caring nature as God. Now, in this one list that I was looking at with 135 names or titles for Jesus, there was one title that I noticed was absent. Perhaps this name or title is always missing from these various lists on names or titles of Jesus. It certainly doesn't this word that I'm going to reveal to you doesn't always sound all that helpful for Jesus or very pious. So what was omitted in that list of 135? Well, hear what Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. So Jesus here is likening himself, or even perhaps giving himself that title of being a thief. I'd like to reflect on this word a little bit, and a word like it. The word robber is found 15 times in the New Testament. None of them are described to, as, or, or likened to Jesus, or used to describe Jesus. Although he was, he was crucified, alongside two robbers and between two robbers. Now the word thief or thieves is found 17 times in the New Testament and four of those times it refers to false teachers. All in John chapter 10 when Jesus talks about himself as the good shepherd and then the wolf is like a thief and uh, he steals people away from, from Christ's word. Six times the word thief or thieves refers to those who steal other people's possessions. And seven times, so more times than any other use in the New Testament, the word is likened to Jesus at the time of our Lord's second coming. Now it's kind of shocking to think that Jesus would liken himself to a thief. But of course, there is a context for it and a reason for it. And of course, Jesus isn't coming to steal from us, though, sadly, sometimes people look at Christ, God, the church as nothing but 
a bunch of thieves or robbers. You see, many have worked hard to earn the possessions that they have. They may have worked long hours. Perhaps they worked hard by working smarter. Or perhaps they engaged in hard labor. Some have not worked quite so hard to have what they have. They may have received higher wages. They may have received a, an, an inheritance. Or they may have invested shrewdly. In either case, because they have invested so much of their, into their own livelihoods, they often think of their possessions belonging to them. We fall into that temptation. Then they have difficulty giving their things to those who are in need, like as the Bible teaches us to do, to provide for the poor and the widows and the orphans. They may even have difficulty giving back to God because they are afraid that they won't be able to live as comfortably or as lavishly if they part with some of their mammon. Then when they hear God's word to give cheerfully to God, as it is written in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, they may conclude that Jesus is some sort of a thief because he's just trying to take people's possessions. I once heard an All Saints Day sermon in which the pastor gave a true illustration of one of his ancestors. A fine Christian woman had a husband who did not go to church. When her husband fell gravely ill, some church members wanted to pay him a visit. After the wife greeted them, she hesitantly went up to his room and informed him that, she, that, that he had some visitors from church. And his voice boomed down the stairway and out the front door, get them out of here. All they want to do is take my money and send me to hell. That was this man's reaction for the having church visitors. Thankfully, though, this man, through the, even though he thought that the church wanted to or existed to threaten and to steal, he had been overcome by the word of Christ and by the love of Christ as demonstrated by his wife and the church members. He was converted. He believed in Jesus, he died in Christ, righteous in him, and forgiven of his sin. But this man highlighted two common misperception, misperceptions concerning the church. Many misunderstand the proclamation of the law as the church trying to send people to hell. But the reality is we need to hear this law so that we're alarmed of our sin and then we take refuge in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we don't hear the law, we'll just conclude that we're all going to go to heaven no matter what we believe or what we feel or what we've done in our past. We are not alarmed by our sin. But when we hear the law, it alarms us so that we then take refuge in Jesus alone for our salvation. The other misconception is that many think that religion exists to rob and steal people's hard-earned possessions from them. Now, God is not a thief when he asks us to give back to him generously. For he has already given to us everything that we have. We are but stewards of his own possessions. He created all things, therefore everything belongs to him. He gave us life, therefore we even belong to him. 
all the things that we have are gifts from God, even our lives. Even time can be considered a gift from God because it belongs to him. For he is our maker and he has redeemed us through his son, paid for our sins on the cross and has done everything to reconcile us so that we are declared acceptable before God's sight and can be received into paradise. This week, as we observe Thanksgiving, we are reminded of these beautiful realities and to be thankful not only in word, but also in deed. The true thieves, though, are those who encourage us, are not those who encourage us to be generous with our possessions and practicing godly stewardship and love for our neighbor. Instead, the true thieves are those who would rob us of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as Jesus described there in John chapter 10. And, for, and the true thieves are those who would rob us of the comfort that we receive from our Lord above. When we do not actively raise our children Christian, or when we fail to tell our neighbors of Jesus' bleeding and dying love, we are in fact robbing them of the greatest blessings that they could possibly have by withholding such treasures from them. When we do not preserve the pure proclamation of the gospel, we are stealing the gospel's comfort from ourselves and from all who may gather to hear it. When we do not frequently attend the divine service and receive Holy Communion, we are robbing ourselves of the greatest treasure that we could possess. St. Paul, in his first epistle to the Thessalonians, as we heard in our epistle reading today, announces that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. That Jesus will return at a time when many do not expect him to return. People will be robbing themselves of eternal comfort as they reason. There is peace and security while assuming that Jesus won't return soon so that they can just carry on and live their lives the way they want and not have the church or anyone else inform them how God would have them live. And when they do so, they're then living in darkness. They have, as Paul writes, set aside the helmet of hope of the hope of salvation and the breastplate of faith and love. This, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, is not how God would have us live. He has not destined us for wrath, but, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, as Paul writes. So let's not rob ourselves of the comfort that the gospel provides. Instead, let us always take refuge in Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Let's recognize that he alone paid for our sins, our many sins on the cross, and that he cancels them all out by grace through faith. Let's listen intently to the gospel of Jesus, for it is the power of God for salvation. And let's receive the Lord's Supper frequently, for by it we receive a foretaste of the blessed feast to come. Let's rejoice in the Lord, for he has done all things well by reconciling us to our Father in heaven. Yes, Jesus is described as a thief when it comes to the timing of his second coming. There will be people who are not ready, who will be banking on another day. And so Jesus calls on us, who have heard God's pure word to be watchful and to be ready 
at all times. So how do you know if you will be ready when Jesus returns? Well, ask yourself this. Are you ready to receive Christ in the Lord's Supper? Are you prepared to receive him today in his body and his blood? As a Christian, you are ready, for you've been absolved. You're hearing the word of Christ. You have reflected on the forgiveness of sins that Jesus has earned for you. If you are ready to come to the Lord's table this day, then you are also ready for our Lord's return for judgment on the last day, whenever that will be. The Bible tells us of two things concerning readiness when Jesus returns. Both are centered on being watchful, alert. For Jesus will return at an unexpected time, just like a thief. First, God threatens condemnation for those who are not ready. What we hear is that there is no second chance. We heard about that in our gospel reading. If you're not ready, you'll miss out, as the foolish virgins did in today's gospel. And second, if you are ready, there are no threats concerning Jesus' return. Our epistle says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing, as Paul's conclusion to his, his writing on Jesus' second return. In fact, in the previous chapter, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, God the Holy Spirit inspired St. Paul to write concerning our Lord's return and the resurrection of all flesh. So when Jesus returns, he will return in the same manner Jesus ascended. He'll return and there will be the voice of an archangel, the trumpet sound of God, the dead will rise, and as Paul writes, we will meet the Lord in the clouds in the air. Paul concludes all of this by writing, therefore comfort one another with these words. Be comforted by the reality that Jesus is coming for you. For Jesus' return will be good for the Christian, even though it will be sudden and unexpected, like a thief in the night. But unlike a thief in the night, it'll be good. In fact, Jesus says concerning his return, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. For when Jesus comes, we will not need to run in fear, and we certainly will not need to hide in shame. For when Jesus returns, he will judge his saints. He will declare them, judge them to be not guilty. That is, he will acquit us as God's children. He will grant us a divine pardon. And he will do so because the penalty for our sin has already been paid for by Jesus, who shed his innocent blood in our place on the cross. When Jesus returns, we will be vindicated of all wrongdoing, for Jesus has replaced our sin with his very righteousness. And so even now, through the accomplishments of Christ, we appear before our Father in heaven, not as the sinners that we know ourselves to be, but as perfect as Christ himself is. And so when Jesus returns at the appointed time by our heavenly Father, he will make all things new. He will create the new heavens and the new earth. Christ's church will be a joy and her people will be glad, as Isaiah declared. We will re be received into God's eternal kingdom. Now, before the bell rang this morning, you may have been thinking, did we come to a Sunday morning service or did we come to a wedding celebration? 
The prelude music that you heard from the organ is one that is often chosen. It's often viewed as a wedding, a wedding tune. And in fact, it is. It is based on the hymn that we just sang, Wake, Awake, for Night is Flying. This hymn is considered to be the king of the Lutheran chorales, and it speaks of that great joy that will occur when Christ, our bridegroom, returns and when he comes for his bride. Who is his bride? His bride is collectively the church which includes you and me. For he will be coming to usher us into his wedding hall, the place of paradise where we will be perfect in every way. God has adorned us with his very righteousness. He presents us to our Father without any spot and without any blemish. He loves us and cherishes us, and he will defend us all the way. The joy that we will experience when Christ, our bridegroom, returns will never end. The perfect bliss will never falter. When we hear that tune, also familiar at weddings, and it's certainly very appropriate knowing the words that are attached to it, we think about wedded bliss and all the wonders and joys that come into a marriage. But then as we carry out our marriages, we realize that we are sinners and we are married to sinners and there's going to be difficulties and challenges. But yet Christ is with us. He teaches us to forgive one another. And when Jesus returns on that last day, we will not have any of those hardships any longer. For all sins and tears of sorrow will be forever gone and we will rest from our labors and dwell in the very presence of God. We will worship him and praise him to all eternity. Oh, that he would come quickly and bring these blessings to us. We know that he will come. We don't know when. And he is faithful. He will fulfill his promise. His coming could be soon or he may delay for many more centuries. We do not know. And so we wait in eager expectation, redeeming the time, making diligent use of the means of grace, that way, we are ready, and that way, we will also be joyful at his appearing. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, and make us ready for your return. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. We now continue by singing the hymn as printed in your bulletin. <laughs> Thank you. 